And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope you guys are having a terrific week. Um, I don't know about a fun show today, <laughs> uh, but a show today. I, uh, we, we did uh, have a show today. I was joined by my good friend, Ian Hayworth from The Daily Wire. It's always a great time talking to Ian. Uh, we discussed the uh, No Good, Very Bad Night uh, we had last night, where the state of Georgia, the great state of Georgia, sent a trust fund socialist and a communist, racist, false teacher, anti-Semitic wife beater uh, to the United States Senate. So, yeah, not a lot of good news to report today, but uh, we do what we can. <laughs> Guys, before I get to Ian, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved with the show, please hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Ian Hayworth. Ian, my brother, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I feel like I've got some PTSD from November 3rd still, and following the results last night, had some flashbacks. So, yeah, looking yeah. forward to digging into that with you for some free, uh, yeah, free therapy this morning. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know history repeats itself, but, you know, it could have held off. History could have held off a little while. I mean, that was only <laughs> a couple months ago, so very cruel by history to immediately repeat itself. So, yeah, man, last night sucked, right? Um, that that sucked pretty hard. Uh, Georgia just elected a trust fund socialist and a communist, racist, anti-Semitic wife beater. So, well done, Georgia. Well done. Congratulations, guys. Thanks a lot. Yes, it's really quite unbelievable. Looking at the two candidates, I've got all the like the data in front of me, and uh, I, I can't decide which decision says more, both about the left but also about the right, that the cons- uh, conservatives weren't able to beat, as you said, uh, a reverend who was involved in trying to basically scupper an investigation into a camp he ran. Yeah, he said multiple blatant anti-Semitic things, but I kind of feel like that's a given for the Democrats right now. Yeah, and he's an open Marxist. I mean, if you listen to any of his speeches, he's he's quite blatant with his views. It's not like he's hidden. And then the other other side, you've got John Ossoff, who basically fell into a pile of cash immediately out of the womb and has just <laughs> lived his life going from daddy's project to daddy's mm. project. I mean, he ran for Congress in the most expensive race in history, lost, and then just decided to run for Senate. And it seems like you throw enough money at a problem, you eventually get what you want. It's, it's truly unbelievable, but I, I think uh, something we're going to dig into, but... When I want to come out straight away and say is this is the GOP's fault. Like we cannot blame the left for winning. We have to blame the GOP for losing and losing against these two awful candidates. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right and wrong. Obviously, it is the GOP's fault. I mean, these both these races, especially the Kelly Loeffler, uh, Raphael Warnock race, were tailor made for us to win. Right. I mean, Warnock, look, Ossoff, you know, there's been young, you know, socialist candidates win that have won elections before like I, I get that you know he's the kind of guy like beto o'rourke people like that mm-hmm. pete Buttigieg, that really appeals to young leftists for some reason 
just just these unimpressive white dudes. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, but with Raphael Warnock, I mean, this guy is a truly deeply evil human being, and uh, even on the religious side, yeah, you know, he's a, a false teacher. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, you're a Jew. I mean, both testaments of the Bible are, are clear on what God thinks about uh, false false teachers, pe- you know, people teaching false doctrine. Um, really evil, evil stuff. I mean, just using the pulpit to promote Marxism and, and racism and, and anti-Semitism is um, next level evil in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, more more evil than than your typical left wing evil. Um, look, every pundit on the right this morning is throwing blame around, and honestly, they're all correct. Like that's the thing. Like the people blaming Trump, I agree. The people blaming the candidates themselves for running bad races, I agree. Um, the people even blaming like the never Trump crowd, uh, you know, for basically just hating Trump more than they, they love conservatism. I, I agree. I mean, yes, the, all all of them. People blaming the press. Yep. I mean, like, I, I haven't seen a single argument this morning uh, casting blame on somebody that I don't agree with wholeheartedly. Well, I think we're, if we're talking about blame, we've got to look at the fact that these races are very, very tight. I mean, Ossoff's race hasn't been called yet, but he's only ahead, like, 0.4%, something in that range. And Warnock only won by in the range of sort of 60,000 votes or so. This is, I think this is a problem of Republicans staying home, which has been, I know the worry of you and me, we've been speaking on and off since the election, of when you've got like major voices, including Trump in the Republican Party, basically saying that the entire electoral system is just dripping with fraud and it doesn't matter if you vote anyway, so you should just stay home. And then people listen to it and stay home and this is what happens. Like Warnock has not won by that many votes. It's that's what really worries me. It wasn't a blowout. It was a handful of people in the grand scheme of things staying home. We blink and we've got a Marxist in the Senate. It really is insane. Let, let's start. Uh, let, let's start with Trump and the thing, the things that he is solely to blame for. Um, first, it's just the, his personality, right? He just sucks all the air out of the room, you know, and with a personality like that, you just can't. It's hard to get things done in a special election like this. I mean, he focused on attacking Georgia's secretary of state, which for the life of me, I, I, every single podcast, I forget that guy's name, (laughs) but, um, I mean, why not focus on the Democrat who ran his wife over with a car in March? Who's now a Senator. I mean, Raphael Warmanak, I don't know if he was trying to kill her or not, but beat his wife and ran over her foot with his car in March of 2020. I mean, if Trump tweeted half as much about Raphael Warnock's assault, maybe attempted murder of his ex-wife, if he if he focused half as much on that as the Georgia's Secretary of State and his his brother that doesn't exist, um, mm-hmm. if he focused half as much on Warnock, I don't think Warnock wins. You know, so it's like that is the fatal flaw of Trump is that he's not a principled man. He just flies off the cuff. He doesn't really care. He just gets on Twitter and says whatever he wants. And he's a selfish guy. All he wants to do is remain president. And you know, he, I think even at this point he knows that's not going to happen. I mean, he just had the inability to shut up, get off Twitter. Focus on Warnock, not on Brian whatever, or whatever the guy's name is, Brad something, the Georgia Secretary of State. I mean, I think that is solely on Trump. And then also, you know, Trump did go down to Georgia and campaign for Purdue and Leffler, and he held big big rallies and stuff, and he was trying to get out the vote. So it's not like he ignored these elections, but it's also 100% his fault that he let these grifters into his inner circle, the Lynn Woods of the world and and Sidney Powell, and these people that I don't even think are real lawyers— yeah, I mean, like, are these people, like, these are the lawyers that you'd hire if you want to get, like, a DUI turned into, like, 
first degree manslaughter or something like they're not the kind of lawyers you would want on your case. Uh, and Trump just <laughs> let him. I mean, he met with these people in the White House. You know what I mean? He it's, retweeted all their nonsense. So it's like I'm not blaming Trump. I'm not saying it is 100 percent Trump's fault. But those two keys, not focusing on the these ridiculous, evil Democratic candidates and focusing on his you know wild goose chase instead. And then just letting these grifters literally legitimately into the literally into the White House and into his inner circle. Those two factors are squarely on Trump, and then and you know the Trump supporters, who we both are Trump supporters, who are lying to themselves about this, are doing the entire conservative movement a disservice. Uh, yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head with sort of basically every single point you made. I think a big issue is that Trump is not a team player. I think central to his philosophy is just Trump, and whatever is best for Trump in the moment is what he will do. I think he was kind of what we needed in 2016. We needed a giant orange middle finger. But I know the the analogy that's used all the time with Trump is that he's a hammer in search of a nail. And so when he hits a nail, it's wonderful. But when he hits a puppy or a kitten or a baby in the face, it's a bit of a disaster. And the problem is that now that it looks like, you know, he he lost the election soon after November 3rd. And it's really been people digging their heels in and trying to just ignore reality since then. He's been swinging as hard as he can in search of the nail that's going to save him. And. What you needed since then, it was a team player who tried to make the best of a bad situation, which is, OK, well, I've lost as an individual, but my party still has races going on. That never occurred to Trump. Yeah. And so, yes, he, he campaigned last minute in Georgia, but I don't believe he would really be changing the, vo uh, the minds that matter because, yes, the people coming to his campaigns would probably already vote. It's the people he had spent months putting off voting by, as you said, bringing people who turned out to be hilariously unreliable is the White House. I mean, even Rudy Giuliani, who's been at the front of a lot of this, some of the things he's come out with have been nonsense, legitimately either nonsense or very concerning. Like he had a speech um, recently I saw on Twitter where he was calling for some kind of battle by combat or trial by combat or something. <laughs> like this is not the language we need to be using if we want to. Every time the left say, oh, the, the right are violent. It might help if we don't put forward people who are saying, yeah, we need a trial by combat or other people who are saying, yeah, we need martial law. It's like, no, we don't. The Spell, system spelled, works. Wrong, spelled wrong, by the way. <laughs> martial <laughs> law, hopefully beginning with an M. <laughs> it's just we need to respect the system, even if the system doesn't work for us in this in this system, because in this uh, scenario, because the damage is going to be longer lasting than this election unless we're careful. I'm terrified we're going to spend the next four years complaining about this exactly like we criticize the left for doing and then it'll be easy for kamala harris to win in 2024 um, because all we've done is moaned about trump losing for four years yeah it's is really worrying no that is a concern i mean look trump's not going to be the president in a couple weeks and he's going to whine and be super vocal about all this for a while i really hope he shuts his mouth before the midterms in 2022 because the senate and the house are within striking distance we could win both of them i mean if if the entire right is still focused on trump's loss Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? But here, here's the thing. There is some blame on the on the anti-Trump right as well, the center right oh, as well. Course. I mean, like, the smugness from these clowns this morning is absolutely insufferable. I mean, it's like, I mean, they hate Trump so much that they're cheering on Republican defeats. I mean, it's like, I mean, really, I hope you guys are happy. I hope you're happy. There's a man who ran over his wife with a car in March <laughs> who is a, a communist and a false preacher, a deeply evil evil, disgusting, corrupt, racist, anti-Semite who's, who's in the Senate. Really? You're happy about that because you don't like the orange guy? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, these never-Trumpers, 
I mean, they, they, they claim to be conservatives. Were they writing op-eds about how the importance of voting for, for David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, or were they focusing on Trump and his you know post-election nonsense every second of every day since November 3rd? It was the latter. I mean, dude, <laughs> I, I tuned into Jonah Goldberg's podcast a, cu- a couple weeks ago, I think, and he just, I mean, he said, yeah, he hopes that Republicans maintain the Senate, but he, he, he just went on a tangent about how much he hates Kelly Loeffler and how he could never vote for her. What? All right, what are you doing? What are you doing? So you want the commie who tried to kill his wife with a car in March? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, what? why? Why? Like, what are you doing? Like, if you're not a conservative if you're not doing anything to help conservatives get elected. Like, I just don't understand. Is David Perdue not good enough for you because he's said nice things about Trump? Like, I, I don't get it. So, I mean, yes, Trump is to blame. Yes, the candidates ran really crappy races. The, the anti-Trump right is to blame, too, for being completely and utterly unhelpful. I mean, I just think, I mean— we just can't point our figures at fingers at one person or one group. I think the, mm-hmm. there's plenty of blame to go around. Oh, yeah, I agree. The, the big issue I see with this is that politics on both sides and culture generally is obsessed with the individual and the personality. It's not about trying to do your best to promote a set of ideas or a set of principles or even just a party in general. It's all about the individual. And so when you get people who say they're conservative, but then will not vote for Trump or not vote for say Loeffler or uh, Purdue, we live in a binary system. And so by not voting for the person who is ostensibly more conservative than the other choice, you're voting for the other person in yeah. some way or another. I We've mean, voting, let... voting, I'm sorry, guys, voting is a binary choice. <laughs> like, I, I've never understood that. Of course it is. Like, that, it's, that's self-evident that, that it's a binary choice. I never understood the, the, these folks that, I don't know, I, uh, they, I, I I understand they really love the holier than thou mentality. They love looking down on on us peasants from their ivory towers. But yes, it's a binary choice: either vote for the good guy, or vote for the bad guy. Well, it's also I think an issue where it's easy for a lot of commentators to really blow with the wind. I think you and I see this on a daily basis. There are a lot of grifters out there who kind of just pick what's best for them in the moment. And I'm not saying everyone who's anti-Trump is a grifter or everyone who's pro-Trump is a grifter. But there are a lot of people who don't really care about the principles. It's more about just having a consistent message. Right. And so when Trump was in power, there are a lot of people who tied themselves to his mask in every single possible way. You saw people who are anti-Trump spin 180 degrees, and suddenly they're the most pro-Trump you've, uh, people you've ever seen. Then you've also seen people who are incredibly anti-Trump. And they spent four years basically promoting that message. I think the only honest people are the people who changed their mind slowly or said, yes, I don't like this, this, this about Trump, but I would vote him because of the bigger picture. And I think that the anti-Trump stuff that really caused this Georgia Senate madness is an extension of just unwillingness to look at the big picture. You've had this battle with big bad orange man for four years, and that is all consuming. You don't care that the fact that the Republican Party is on its way down now in many ways, that we've just handed a radical democratic party control of every element of our government all that matters is beating trump and so they feel like oh yeah four years well spent that's what needs to change it can't be about people it needs to be about principles and party i agree um what one thing we talked about voting being binary choice i mean unless you're just an anarchist who doesn't vote i mean i guess you know which is fine i know there's a lot of anarchists that don't vote to listen to the show um the thing is about people that, that say that they want like the Libertarian Party or the Green Party or any of these third parties to be more powerful and they want it to be more like a 
parliamentary system like like you guys have in England. Like the thing is, we have that within the two party system. Like it's mm-hmm. still a coalition building process. Okay, and right now on the right, we don't have a coalition strong enough to defeat a communist wife beater in Georgia. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's not good. Okay, that's not good. But you know, so the thing is, like, yes, the GOP it is a two party system, but there's essentially four parties within the GOP, and I want to dive right into that right now because I don't whine. Okay, I'm a grown adult male. I prefer to move forward, you know, onward and upward, Ian. Like, I I I prefer to move on to the next fights, the next fight. And there's a lot of major fights coming up, very important battles to be fought. In the coming days, weeks, months, years, I, I think you can take a look at the GOP right now and boil it down into essentially four different parties. The establishment, the populists, the conservatives, and the libertarians. And we do not have a winning coalition right now, and we need to build one. But looking at those four groups, do you agree with me just real quick before I, I kind of make my point? Do you agree that those are kind of the four factions within GOP? Or am I missing yeah, one? Yeah, I, I would more? agree. I think there's there's some blurred lines where we start stepping into the moderate area, but I think that's adequately covered by the populist stuff. So I think that's, if if we're going to separate, yeah, that works. I think to survive the GOP and like the, you know, the right, the conservative movement, uh, the, the, the coalition, I'm fine with anybody that wants the government smaller than it is now. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I mean, anybody, unless, unless you're just like, I don't know like an open racist or something. But all the, the racists on the right all are like big government types anyway. They're basically socialists, but only for white people. So they're not really included in that group ever anyway. But um, like the, the coalition that, that succeeds has to be, and this is the next fight, and this is extraordinarily important. It has to be the coalition of conservatives and libertarians. We have to win the day. We have to. That's why I encourage the Libertarian Party just to disband. <laughs> just for, like, give it up, guys. Give it up. Come on over here to the GOP. Register as a Republican and help us win this fight. Um, and, you know, it, it, the coalition has to be the conservatives and the libertarians. And, and you can even sprinkle in a few of the establishment types in with us, um, but not the populists. I, I, the populists led by guys like Josh Hawley are going to make a real push to take over the heart and soul of the GOP in the coming months and years. And they have to be stopped. I mean, these are people like Tucker Carlson who basically endorsed socialist economics, okay? Like, these people are not, at least fiscally fiscally speaking, not the slightest bit conservative. They don't really want government to be smaller. They want some, you know, right-wing government to rise up and enforce right-wing ideals on the rest of the country. And that's not conservative. I mean, that's not—I mean, that's one that's wrong. I mean, it's, it's evil, actually. I don't like when the left does it, and I don't like when the right does it. Um, so— the coalition building within the GOP is going to be fascinating. These are the four groups. I think they're pretty clearly defined at this point. There are some blurred lines, but they're they're fairly clearly defined. And our side, the coalition of conservatives and libertarians, has to win the day or we're in real, real trouble. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you've got to do, I think, first and foremost, is look at who's actually trying to build a coalition. And a lot of the messaging of the populist is, you, you see this right now. I mean, Eric Trump said this the other day of, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, we're going to primary you. We're going to win. Really? This, yeah, I mean, this, you know, Raphael Warnock's a senator, so. Exactly. It's like you can't really speak as a winner if you are a loser, quite yeah. frankly. The issue with a lot of the populace is it's it's become nothing but a loyalty test. And when you have a loyalty test where everyone must out, bow down to some set of ideals which change every day, you end up alienating people from your party who otherwise would have been your allies. I think that's what needs to change. Everything can't be a test exactly how the left do it of 
you must believe this, this, and this. You must bow down to our leader. You must show loyalty. It's like, no, it's not about loyalty. It's about promoting principles. Like, I don't really care that Trump has lost. I care that conservatives are going to have a harder time putting what we want in place. Absolutely. It's not about individuals. That's the real concerning thing is that so many so-called conservatives are hell-bent on this loyalty nonsense. It's when it's not a monarchy. Like, fought a pretty big war to avoid that whole situation. If you want a monarchy, just have one. <laughs> but it's it's worrying to see so many people who claim to be conservatives really work in the opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm a Trump supporter. I voted for him twice, but I don't, I don't care. He's a politician. I mean, he's a, he's a, who cares? I mean, politicians are clowns. They're useful <laughs> idiots that we use to accomplish our our policy goals. I mean, that's you know, every politician's a moron, even the guys we like. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hope I never get to hang out with uh, some of the politicians I really like. I mean, Mike Lee or somebody. I probably find out he's a jackass too in 30 seconds. That'd be very sad for me. <laughs> but I mean. The, the thing is, man, and I hope, I really hope, this this populist movement is just a moment in time because they really need to be defeated. And the thing is, as a libertarian, I'm the easiest person in the world to, to build a coalition with because any anybody who wants the government a little bit smaller than it is now is my ally. Okay, mm-hmm. And, like, if we actually accomplish some of the goals, then I, I'm going to start losing allies fast because people are going to get off the train, right? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> if we make the government 10% smaller, I mean, I might lose some of the moderates that, that are fine there. And, all right, get off the train, bud, because we're going to keep going. If we make it 40% smaller, you, you might jump off board. You know, the conservatives might jump off board until it's just me living in some, like, anarchist paradise on a farm somewhere and not paying taxes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, dream. as of now, literally anybody, that's why I get along with, every guest I ever have on this podcast, because as long as you want the government smaller than it is right now, as long as you want to be more free than you are right now, I don't care if you want to be 1% more free or 100% more free, you're my ally. So I think that is the mindset that we on the right have to take. Do you want the state less important in your life than it is now? If the answer is yes, get on board, baby. You're with me. Okay. And then if we actually start making some ground, people might get off the train eventually. But like, we really need to stop, like like you said, Eric Trump saying, oh, we're going to primary you if you don't say that Mike Pence should do what. Well, I don't even know what they want Mike Pence to do today. They're doing some, they're saying he could like change the election or something. Why? I don't know, because these people are insane. But like, none of that. If you want mm-hmm. the government out of your life, get on board and let's make it happen. We need to start building these coalitions now um, before the populists can start building their coalition within the GOP. Well, what you said is exactly how you form a coalition with anyone. You find common goals and then you build everything around those common goals. That's it's very, very simple stuff. And the fact that conservatives are tearing themselves apart by almost finding the differences between each faction and then focusing on them as the as the core goal is really bizarre. There are so many things that every element of conservative um, movement could rally around. I mean, for example, there's foreign policy, which I think most people would be on board with at a high level. There's the size of the government, which you mentioned, which I think every conservative would be on board on on board with. There's the fiscal responsibility, which every conservative seems to have forgotten about as we head into this pit of doom that is our debt. All we need to do is pick a couple of these very high level, very concrete goals. And that's it. That should be the shared goal. And I think we would have a winning coalition in a second, because I think there are a ton of moderates who probably voted for Biden over Trump who care about debt. I agree. I agree. And so that's that's emblematic of why 
the 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 co- the winning coalition has to be between libertarians and conservatives. Obviously, we established the populists cannot leave lead the conservative mu- movement because they're not conservative. Okay, that would just be a replacement of conservatism. It wouldn't be, you know, a critique of it. And then also the establishment. And there there's some good establishment Republicans and a lot and a lot of bad ones too. But the establishment cannot lead the the conservative movement because they just can't win elections. It's just never mm-hmm. going to happen. I mean, it, the the Mitt Romneys of the world will never win an election again. Um, it's going to even become more and more difficult to win statewide elections as a as an establishment Republican because I I don't see Republicans winning elections if they don't learn the lesson from President Trump on how mm-hmm. to handle the press. And uh, I mean, you saw uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida, who I think is terrific and should run for president in twenty twenty four. You see that absolute beatdown of CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day, I mean, he he's a guy that he doesn't behave like Trump on Twitter. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, he, he's not counseled by Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell, but he <laughs> learned the lessons from Trump. Come in, do what you want. You know, d- take no prisoners. And when the press attacks you, give just punch them right yeah. in the freaking face, knock them unconscious. That is, well, heck, Greg Jean Forte up in uh, Montana physically did that, beat the crap out of a journalist. I'm not saying go that far, but <laughs> yeah, he's governor of uh, Montana right now. But anyway, the establishment, there's a lot of people right now on Twitter, I'm, I'm going through it, who are just you know saying, see, the establishment, uh, they know what they're doing, and Trump was the reason why we lost Georgia, and we need to go back to the Mitt Romneys of the world. Mitt Romney got shellacked. Yeah. He got beat up by Barack Obama. He didn't even defend himself. He was just... I mean, he was just executed on live TV every day for two years until he eventually got blown out in November. So it's like, we're not going back to that. John McCain got crushed. Okay, it's just not... And you're not running a George Bush, okay? You're not doing the compassionate conservatism thing. That guy would get shellacked electorally. It's just not happening. So the the levers of control over the future of the GOP have to be kept as far as humanly possible away from the populist and the establishment guys. I, I do think there's a place for some establishment guys in our coalition, in our winning coalition. There truly is. I don't know about the populists. I don't think so. <laughs> they seem a little too out there for me. They don't really seem like true conservatives at all. But um, to the people, the, the knee-jerk people in the establishment right now, saying how they were right all along, it's like, guys, that you're learning the wrong lesson. Like, Scott Walker was not going to beat Hillary Clinton in in. in 2016 like Bobby Jindal was not going to beat Hillary Clinton okay Jeb Bush was not going to beat Hillary Clinton it wasn't going to happen like we did need Trump Trump did teach the conservative movement how to win in, in certain respects and how to lose in certain respects but going back to just like status quo Paul Ryan establishment politics that that's that is just a recipe for disaster well again I think it comes back to what we've said before on multiple conversations is that conservatives just don't learn lessons and to some extent you've got what worries me is you have populists who will do anything to win and it doesn't right. mean doesn't matter if they sacrifice principles and then right. you'll have establishment members who are almost more comfortable losing i get the sense with a lot of people they are um, no they are in the establishment yeah. who feel far safer being the kind of oh well i don't need to win but i feel much more comfortable just sitting back here kind of complaining but politely mm-hmm. i don't mind being torn apart on national TV by Barack Obama or any other person on the left that gets dragged out because I didn't really want to win anyway. It's more about participating, saying my piece, and then going back to a life I'm much more comfortable with. We need people who are in that middle who want to win, but want to win for conservative principles. And if we pick either side, we're not going to win with an establishment person ever again. The left have gone too far. The media is far too blatant, and they've got away with it. Can you imagine any—I can't imagine any establishment person winning— 
But when you've got a populist, I think the left are very clever. They will twist a populist over time because they play the long game into what they want anyway. We need to be very careful with who we throw our support behind in the next four years. Not Josh Hawley. <laughs> Literally anyone else would be better on the right than Josh Hawley. I, I want to take it a step further. Um, there are some major problems with just conservatism generally, or at least mainstream conservatism. I'm going back to the 50s and 60s. You know, the, the William F. Buckley, the founder of National Review, his line uh, that National Review was standing athwart history yelling stop. Um, well, that failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that failed. I mean, what, what have we conserved? And I, I, I mean, we're all conservatives here. We are to blame as well. I mean, what have we conserved? I mean, blame, blame yourself if you're a conservative. I mean, I, I've been locked in my house after 10 p.m. by my Republican governor. Okay, like, wh- what, what have we conserved? I mean, the Patriot Act still exists. Congress, you know, <laughs> re-ups that every year. I'm paying a crazy amount in taxes. We've been in Afghanistan for 20 years. What have we reserved? I mean, 20, 30 trillion in debt, just about. The Federal Reserve destroying the value of the U.S. dollar. I mean, what what have we conserved? Okay, like just being anti-communist united the right for a long time, especially before the fall of the Soviet Union. But being anti-communist isn't enough. Georgia just elected a communist. Mm-hmm. Okay, and a legitimate, open communist. Okay, being anti-communist has failed. Playing prevent defense, okay? Yeah. St- standing athwart history and yelling stop is the idiot football team playing prevent defense in the fourth quarter hoping not to lose. You always lose. You always lose eventually. Okay, like we need to go on offense. So, like, just off the top of your head, where are some areas that whether we're in power or not, we can actually go on offense policy-wise instead of just trying to hold on to the dying, withering freedoms we have now? How can well, we actually we're... expand individual liberty? Well, what's disappointing is I feel like conservatives has this, have this habit of talking as if we have no offense and defense is our only option. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm a Packers fan. It's like having Aaron Rodgers just running the ball all day long. It's like the conservative movement and conservative principles are abound with <laughs> top line issues that I think everyone can get on board with, which I think are morally and conceptually correct. So just the idea of individual liberty, of religious freedom, of freedom of speech. These are all issues that are the center of our culture right now. Like the battle for free speech is going on right now and will be going on for quite a few years time. That can be a central issue for conservatives. We have the issue of foreign policy, where in just a few short years, Trump turned our foreign policy systems on their head. And look, we've got peace in the Middle East. And now we've got Biden and the Obama lackeys all coming back in saying, oh, well, that wasn't the right thing to do. Let's just hand Iran more power, more money. And I'm sure they won't kill all the Jews. There are so many issues like that. Very, very high level. I I, I wish, again, we focus on the debt because I think that is something we're all going to suffer for eventually. And that is one of these ticking time bombs that I think we need a conservative who can speak frankly and honestly about this. Yeah, we haven't. I mean, we haven't. We haven't. We haven't since Warren G. Harding and Calvin Coolidge, though. You know, Coolidge left office in 1928. It's been a long time Mm -hmm. um, since anybody's actually cared about spending. I mean, Harding got elected in 1920, man, on on reducing spending and cutting taxes. So you know, it can. It has happened. Um, It can happen again. I, I, I just think people are so comfortable and people are so stupid. I mean, we have such a low, you know, low information electorate. I know you're not supposed to make fun of the voters, but the voters really don't care about the debt and deficit. It's going to take, you know, the Federal Reserve being unable to artificially keep interest rates low. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? 
And then interest rates skyrocket, and people are, well, what happened? Oh, maybe it's the $30 trillion in debt, jackass. You know, it's going to take something <laughs> like that. It's going to take, you know, extreme inflation. It's going to take, you know, something awful. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. stuff, that, that stuff that's going to make the American people uncomfortable um, before they actually start caring about this, unfortunately. But, like, what if we take, take on something like guns? I mean, conservatives have been, for decades and decades just trying to hold on to the gun rights we have while slowly giving up gun rights. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, that's insane. Like we've never gone on the offense on, on the topic of firearms. And how about we, how about this one? In most States convicted felons can't own a gun, right? How about we make it a racial justice issue? The government is keeping the black man down because black people are, are more likely, black men are more likely to be uh, convicted felons than white men for a variety of different reasons, but let's make it a racial issue, right? Call the government racist in some of these blue states for not letting black men defend their families with firearms. I'm not saying let like convicted rapists or murderers or domestic abusers own guns, but if you were if you're a felon due to a drug charge, mm-hmm. why shouldn't you be able to own a gun? Say it's absolutely racist that the state of California are keeping these black men from defending their families. Get a win. Get well, a, I would actually. I would say we should dilute that even more, and I think we should just take on the racial debate as a whole. Sure. I think. I mean, Trump did quite well amongst certain communities that he was expected to fail with. And I think that's a glimmer of hope that I think Republicans should invest in heavily because there is a lot of communities. There's a lot of black people, Hispanic people, women who are exhausted of being told by the left that the entirety of their identity is built upon their skin color or their gender. Mm-hmm. We can use that as a winning message because, like, hey, we're the party that doesn't give a shit about what gentles you have. Yeah, that's quite a that's quite an open message. And I think my worry with people like the populists is that they don't they almost try and use identity politics rather than rejecting identity politics. We need to win based on rejecting identity politics, not just kind of playing our own game and trying to equal them. I think there's a very subtle difference. And then the establishment are just scared of the word race. They're so terrified of being called racist that they'll just agree to anything the left say. We need a very, very clear voice that says more articulately than Trump does, (laughs) just race is unimportant. We need to go back to a time where the phrase, I don't see race, isn't a sign of bigotry because it is a completely unimportant variable that the left remain obsessed with. I think that would be a winning issue for a lot of people, for example. Yeah, and we just need men with chests too, don't we? I mean, (laughs) we we really can't. We need men with with testicles. We we, we can't be afraid of being called a racist. No. Yeah, they're gonna do it anyway. They're gonna do it anyway. It doesn't matter who you are, you know. If you're a black conservative, they still call you a racist. If you're a Hispanic conservative, they still call you a racist. You know. If you're a Jewish conservative, they still call you Hitler. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm. I'm it called a white matter. supremacist yeah. on a daily basis. It's like, well, last time I checked, the white supremacists <laughs> aren't exactly down with the Jews. So. No. <laughs> yeah, man. I. Th- those days are over. You know, the the Mitt Romney with his tail between his legs. You know, anytime somebody calls him a racist on CNN, mm-hmm. I mean, those days. We really need to put those days to bed, you know, bury them 100 feet underground and never, never let them come back. You know what I mean? And and I think there are some wins to be made on the federalist front as well. And and like we can yeah. start with like marijuana, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I don't care if you are a conservative who smokes weed or not. Like maybe you're somebody who doesn't like weed. I mean, let's let's end the the federal prohibition on marijuana and make sure the the law is worded in a federalist way, right? Like in a way that you can take that in future challenges to the Supreme Court. Say, look, like we ended this this federal prohibition on weed and and 
threw it back to the states, and look how well that worked out. You know, Kentucky didn't want to legalize weed, and everywhere else did, or wherever. You know what I mean? Um, so I think we can we can win on a federalist level by even giving the left some stuff that they want, but wording it legally in a way that uh, we can challenge future federalist issues to the Supreme Court and win mm-hmm. down the road, if that makes sense. I think that I would love that. My worry is that I think there are a lot of people who are fundamentally uninterested in anything which gives them or their community more responsibility. I think that's why the left are so popular right now is that they are prov- like providing you with a king or queen who's going to solve all your problems. Right. And I think conservatives need to get better at telling hard truths over a longer period of time where there are no solutions. You are responsible for your own life, the, your family's life, your community's lives. And I think this need almost need to be returning to this American principle, which used to be the case where people would take responsibility for things. And now there seems to be a much more European attitude to the idea of responsibility. My concern there, though, is that all the principles we've talked about are sound great in the short term. The idea of responsibility and the government not being there promising you to, to hold your hand and tuck you in at night is a long term promise. I think if we can't answer that question, a lot of these things aren't going to be aren't going to matter anyway, because eventually the left will win with just their promise of being the new God in your life. Yeah. I mean, you have, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how much of that uh, rugged individualism that built the country is left, you know? Yeah. Um, before March, I thought we were in a lot stronger place. Um, but I was wrong. I mean, I, uh, me and, uh, Drew Holden did our year, year end award show. We handed out awards for uh, several different categories the last show of, of 2020. And and uh, my and we, we also came clean on our, our worst takes of 2020. <laughs> and mine was that I said on the podcast in March that if governors try to lock us down, it'll only last a few weeks because people will just say, absolutely not. If you're a governor that tries to lock me in the house, we're either going to arrest you, throw you in prison, or, you know— we're not going to be told what to do for, for very long. I thought people would get over it in a few weeks and then return to, uh, you know, normal life. And they didn't. And people want to mm-hmm. be, even to this day, I mean, Ohio is under a 10 p.m. curfew, okay? Uh, people And people want. I mean, it's people that are mad at Mike DeWine are, are people on the left who uh, want to be told what to do more. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, people are, are perfectly happy to be locked in their homes by their government. Um, so I think— you know, America is in a lot worse position than I thought. I think the lockdowns uh, prove that. So we'll see. I mean, it, it's convincing people to stand up and be a man again. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. it convincing people to actually stand up for themselves against the tyrannical government again. Uh, I mean, in, in a just world, in, in an America, even from a few decades ago, I think a lot of these governors would be in prison. You know, like Andrew Cuomo mm-hmm. would be in chains right now. Mike DeWine would be in change. Gretchen Whitmer would be, you know, in, in chains right now if we still lived in a just world. Um, so we'll see, man. We'll, we'll see if we can spark that rugged individualism again moving forward. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think the last thing I want to say on, on, on this subject is just, again, it all comes down to the desire to be responsible for oneself. Because if you don't have the desire to take responsibility for your health and the safety and the economic safety of those and those around you, then you are just giving in to what the government wants to do. Because, for example, I'm one of the rarer conservatives. I think I'm a bit more um, hesitant on coronavirus stuff. I think I'm a bit more concerned about it. 
But that doesn't mean that I'm in favor of lockdowns. I'm vocally anti-lockdown. I think they've been disastrous. But I'm also aware of the fact that I think there are things that people should be doing as an individual to try and protect others from, uh, from the virus. And so more people need to be like that, of meeting in the middle of, okay, it doesn't really matter whether you think this is real or not, for example. But if each of us takes responsibility with the goal of opening up our economy, which should be the the, the place we start from, not the goal, it's insane that we are now goaling on opening people's businesses up. That really says a lot about <laughs> where our society is. Yeah. But people aren't talking about that. It's, it's more, again, a battle of loyalty of trying to convince one side or the other that their attitude is correct. It shouldn't matter what the attitude is. The attitude should be each of us wants to live our life. We need to live our lives in the best way that respects each other's rights and just get out of our way. Like, the fact that this has gone to even state level, let alone federal level, is ridiculous. And uh, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that people don't want to make hard decisions. They don't really want to acknowledge an issue. And so it's way easier just to go, well, I'll just let my governor handle it. It doesn't really matter if I like it or not. It's not my decision. And then you can just sit back and complain about it rather than offering an alternative. And we just need to take responsibility. I think, as you said, just grow a pair and accept that bad things will happen as a consequence. Couldn't agree with you more, man. Well, well put. Um, one more thing before I let you go. I, we just have to mention uh, before we wrap up here, guys, please go buy guns and ammo. <laughs> um, <laughs> gun stock prices are through the roof. Um, this morning, um, gun prices are going to go up. Everything is going to be on back order. Um, if you don't own a gun, please buy a gun. I mean, you can you can get the, the look. I'm not sponsored by any gun manufacturers. Wish I was. So I'm not I'm not advertising for anybody here. But look, I, I carry a Ruger EC9S. Um, it's a $300 gun. You can afford it. <laughs> go go buy one. You know, the Smith and Wesson M&Ps are, are you know $400 guns. They're affordable. You can afford it. Go buy guns and ammo. Um, you know, the shelves at gun shops are going to be empty for a long time. I mean, people are going to be buying guns faster than these manufacturers can make them. Prices are going to go up. There's going to be ammo shortages. Um, the left is going to try to attack your right to protect your family. Go buy guns and ammo right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Ian, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. It's always a good time. Hope I mean, hopefully, I feel like the last few times you've been on, it's just been just bad news. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully next podcast we can have some uh, positivity. Uh, I think that would be right with the doctor ordered. But uh, thanks for doing this, man. It's always a good time. Where can everybody check out your show, which is fantastic? And where can everybody follow you online and all that stuff? Yes, you can find all of my stuff online on social media. It's the same handle. It's I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. -H. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, that's also my website, I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H.com. Uh, I'm also a writer for The Daily Wire. So you head over there. You can find all of my uh, latest articles where I... I try and be positive, but yeah, most of my stuff is about as negative as we've uh, discussed today. So if you love that stuff, then dive in. You've you found your, your Garden of Eden. <laughs> Everybody follow Ian. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.